What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. There's absolutely nothing sexy about sweeping floors or clearing parking lots. In fact, you would expect companies that do this type of work to be constantly stuck in boom and bust seasonal cycles. What if I told you that a company that does this type of work was able to grow consistently and in fact grew at almost 70% over the pandemic and was able to keep their people through the experience? What if I told you that their secret to success isn't really that much of a secret? That's the conversation that we're going to have today with Joy Van Patten, VP of Organizational Development at Divisions Maintenance Group. So what's Joy's story? She's an old organizational development leader for DMG, a facilities management company for national and global multi-site commercial, industrial, and residential organizations. She joined the organization almost 16 years ago when it was a much smaller company. And she's been a key leader of the organization that's helped guide the organization to over 1,000 employees currently. Joy? Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, Dr. Jim. Yeah, nice to have you on. And I know I didn't mention like the 15 million certifications that you have across all sorts of different instruments. So I'll let you do that. One of the first order of business uh, is for you to get the listeners up to speed on some of the interesting things about your background that's going to really inform the conversation. Began my career many years ago, not quite in a galaxy far away, but definitely not in the facilities maintenance industry. Started a tiny little stint right out of college with the government, just doing some job training and getting my feet wet there in the HR realm and helping create development plans for individuals. Transitioned out of that into a corporate role with a company that is now Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield. When I was there, I think they're Endeavor today. I think there's still some books of business under Anthem. But that's really where I was really blessed to get my feet wet in all things training and development, tremendous change management. That was early 90s things transitioning into uh, a lot of HMOs and managed healthcare. We have been a traditional insurance company. So really helping the company make that switch at the same time. Also helping with operational excellence. and got a lot of certifications in total quality management. Love Dr. Deming and some of the teachings he stands for. Been able to apply some of that. Started there as a trainer, worked my way up to being one of their principal consultants, helping with Mergers, acquisitions, again, continuing just down that change pathway. Left there after 10 years, did consulting for about another 10. I always tell people, you're starting to add the years up. Yes, I was like the Doogie Hauser of OD, like a total child prodigy. I began when I was five, everybody, five. Because I'm nowhere near as old as my years add up. But worked with a lot of companies, just helping them with organizational assessment work and training and learning, developing their leaders, doing some total quality operational efficiency work. And what was really great about that is I worked with a wide variety of customers, so allowed me to come in and very quickly be able to ascertain a culture, figure out where things are working, where they're not working, and really be able to adapt to a myriad of industries uh, just by applying what I did. Came time, I thought, you know what, I kind of miss being 
with the team long-term, even though my client base was long-term, but I thought I really miss being in the middle of the action all the time. And I thought, well, I've done the corporate thing, done the consulting thing. Let's try the entrepreneurial kind of quasi startup thing. Job comes across my uh, job board, first one. And I went, oh my gosh, that's my job. It was kismet. And uh, so crazy that Divisions Maintenance Group would hire someone like me at the timing that they didn't even really have a formal structure at the that point in time. And I don't think we're even knew really what all I was bringing to the table. I think it was just one of those things. The universe says you need her. She needs you. Let's make it work. And as they say, the rest is, has been history. It's a really interesting trajectory that you had. And all of it makes sense, except for one thing. Why in the world did you at the time think it was a good idea to take an OD role at a facilities company? What's the story behind how this opportunity became a compelling one? especially when it's typically not invested in within these type of spaces. That was definitely a question that crossed my mind. I thought, why am I even going to this interview? There's other industries. I spent time with a lot of our children's hospitals in the state of Ohio. I was very compelled to possibly look into that. But as I said, this, this popped up, something inside of me said, this is where you're supposed to be. Met with the founder, oh, Gary Mitchell, who is still our CEO today. And just his vision we just clicked and I saw something bigger than just weeds and trash. And I saw something that said, this is going to be a company that is going somewhere. Like the vision Gary and the team had, it was, it was four additional partner founders that were with him at the time. They were young, they were vivacious, energetic, they were focused. And the fact, again, they saw value when I was bringing to the table, I said, again, very few companies at that point in time, we had about 40 employees total would even see fit to bring someone like me on period, regardless of industry, let alone facilities maintenance. And I just saw something in there that said, I can make a difference here and I want to make an impact for however long it is. I'm going to learn something here. I'm going to contribute something here. And I was compelled because of their vision. What was specific about their vision that hooked you in? I just knew that they were trying to do the right things at the right time. They were growth oriented. It wasn't necessarily about weeds and trash and broken water pipes for them. It was truly, even though we hadn't articulated it then, I could sense it. It was about, we are providing a service to our customers, providing a service to communities, providing a value to our vendors and to our employees. We want these people for life. And we're here to make a difference in everyone's lives that we touch. That's something I could absolutely get behind, whether it's trash, healthcare, banking, food service. I'm about that vision. One of the other things that I'm curious about, you're in the OD space yeah. and you occupy an interesting intersection where you're in OD within a high volume employee space. So typically facilities management has a lot of churn. So when you bring those two things together, and think about the myths that exist when it comes to the learning practice, the organizational development practice or within that space. What's the thing that comes to mind that you really wish would just disappear? I think the myth of that your industry determines whether there's value or sexiness, right? Appeal. I think people can be somewhat turned off by facility maintenance. We've been using that term throughout this podcast. It's unsexy. So I think one of the myths is saying there's some real exciting work happening here. It's not just happening in the Googles and the metas of the world. It's happening here. You want it, you're, we've got software engineers all over the world and we're attracting them because we're doing phenomenal game-changing work. And I think that's the message. Even if you're helping to coordinate that technician to that work, we put it more in a mission. It's not just, again, you're just 
dispatching someone to go fix something that's broken, you're actually changing someone's life for the better. When I opened the show, I mentioned that there's, I think it's come up a couple times as well. There's nothing sexy about the actual blocking and tackling of facilities management and the people that do the work. I don't, I, I can't wrap my head around how you can wake up one day and just be like, oh, I'm going to go sweep a floor or, oh, I'm going to pl- plow a driveway. So when you look at that, how is that related to really the realization that helped you and your team grow to where they are now? Like, what's the connection there? Our business model is such that we actually work with multi-thousand a number network of vendors all across the United States. So our people here are helping to really match that right technician with the right work at the right time for their customers. We're very team aligned. So they serve their customer and they know that customer inside and out. And and it does because our people here have to wake up at three in the morning if there's a call that comes in and they have to be motivated enough to handle that call and get that vendor, make sure that job is completed. They follow it through soup to nuts. And we're dealing with some folks straight out of college, and that can be a hard sell. And again, where we come into play is getting them aligned to our mission. We celebrate a lot of the hard work that we do here. We work hard. We play hard. So we try to make a fun environment. But at the same time, we remind them that what you're providing is vital service, not just to that customer, but to that community. You're providing a vital service to that technician. That's what we're all about at the end of the day, is making lives better. So it really is, it's a human connection, not a connection to that leaky pipe, right? Or to that fallen tree. It's a connection to the human beings in that store, the customers that will be coming into that place of business and to that technician is putting food on their table. We get cards and letters from technicians and and vendor companies have said, you've put four of my kids through college in the time we've been together. Wow, that's an amazing feeling. And we've got to make sure that, and we do, we share those stories with our people. They've got to know they're about something bigger than just that individual job that's coming across their computer at four or three in the morning. I understand the principle of what you're talking about. We It's come up on the show several times with other guests where the more aligned you are on mission, vision, values, and the more you connect those dots, the stronger culture you'll have. The challenge that I see is when you look at what you do, you have an internal team that you have to align to that. And then you have external vendor partners that you have to align to that as well. And that seems near impossible to bridge those things. So what was the process that you went through to get alignment across those two things? I think early on, we realized that relationships with our vendors was part and parcel with everything that we do. And so we realized that we look at, we have almost three different customers. You have that direct customer, the one that's contracting with you to actually per- perform services and be that that intermediary to manage their facilities. We have the vendors that we have to work with, vendor companies and technicians. We work with companies as well as the individual techs within those companies. And you have employees and each of those have different needs. And we we realize that we have to make sure we're, we're balancing the needs of the customer with the needs of the technician with the needs of the employee. And that's not always easy to do, but I think we absolutely pay attention to it. We measure it. We do NPS scores, not just with technicians or with customers, but we do it with our employees. So we gauge their feedback every 90 days. We gauge our customer feedback. We gauge our vendor feedback. And we're looking to add value. And it's going to be different value proposition 
to each of those constituencies. So we focus on that, but it really has taken that we want to invest in, in our employees. We want to invest in our technicians. One of the things we want to get to, we're not quite there yet, but we're building our app to really be that technician friendly and looking at how can we add value in kind of where things are transitioning to a gig economy, even with our technicians in terms of having them entrenched with us, not just job by job, but they, they come to us, could be for parts. They come to us for their insurance, they that we are continuing to add value to their life again, which brings entrench, entrenchment, which brings loyalty. We want to do that with our employees, offer them career growth. We are very proud of the fact that we hire and promote from within. We don't just talk about it, but we do it. And people know that. So they're really able to start here fresh out of college and be with us five, 10 years later and have really done something with their career that they're very proud of. It sounds like you've built a, a pretty decent foundation in terms of aligning value to behavior, like how the organization and leaders within the organization show up and how that actually shows up in policy. The one thing that I'm trying to figure out is when you look at talking about that stuff in theory and how it actually shows up in terms of business impact and this is related to the growth trajectory that you went through during the pandemic. How did all of that work end up paying off? And what's the story of how that was connected in real terms? I think it totally begins with our founder and our partnership team, Gary Mitchell, our CEO and founder, began the company when he was like 23, 24 years of age. So just crazy vision that he's had throughout all of the years. So it really started there with, he really just has this belief that there's really nothing that can stop us. And that's a message we hear over and over again. We laughingly talk about the six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. He's your two phone calls away of getting whatever we need. There's no equipment we won't be able to find. There's no piece of material that we won't be able to find. I remember several years back, even before the pandemic, there was a salt emergency and a salt shortage during a heavy snow season. We found it. We procured it. People during a blizzard couldn't get generators. We found generators because we're just crazy enough to believe we're going to find it and we don't let anything in our way. Pandemic starts. Definitely all over the country, things are shuttering down. All of our customers, they're closed. We're primarily big box retail, especially at that time. They weren't open. All of us were shuttered in our homes. You can imagine work orders started to dry up. Contracts being canceled right and left. Here we're going, what are we going to do? Prior to this had been interesting. We weren't in the janitorial space. We had done other services, but we just said, ah, we're not right there yet. We still got a lot of space to play in these others. We'll leave that somewhere else. The pandemic came and we had some conversations early on, like February, March. You're seeing work dry up and dwindle. It doesn't look good. Other folks in our space are laying off. They're shuddering, not sure what's going to happen. We have those difficult conversations, but just enough vision, something inside, and maybe it was a gut feel that said, let's just see what four more weeks can buy us. This was like in March. So our fiscal year began April 1st of 2020, and it went through March 31st of 2021, the height of the pandemic. We hung on in March. We hung on. We started to get a few phone calls because people started to say, we've got to change the way we've done business. So the phone starts to ring. They said, hey, can you do this? What's a service we've never done before? But you know what we said? We can do that. And we said, we'll figure it out. Because I got to tell you, it was services nobody else had ever done before either. And if we didn't say yes, somebody else was going to say yes and figure it out. We just started our practice of saying yes. We'll figure it out. Not only did we figure it out, but we figured it out really well. We entered into new services. 
We had great relationships locally with vendors. We started, and they all wanted to come to work. So peepots during the pandemic were our technicians as well, eager to switch gears and try some new things. Everybody was in this, let's try it and see what works. And we just kept saying yes. And when we should have closed down, when we should have had our worst year on record, when we should have had to spend two or three more years rebuilding from that catastrophic year, from fiscal year 20, again, April 1, 2020, March 31st of 21, we had our best year on record. And we grew net employee growth. 84 new people were added. Not only did we not lay off, we employed 84 net new people. We figured out how to work it online. We figured out how people could work from home. We figured out how to onboard and keep the mission alive. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. So there's a few things that I'm curious about when you described everything that you described. Even before the pandemic, I got the sense of the type of pace that exists within the organization. And then you throw yeah. a pandemic into it where you're in constant figure it out mode. On the one hand, it's pretty exciting. On the other hand, I'm thinking about it from the employee perspective. That's got to be high stress. What did you do to keep from having people just burn out from that constant pace? What helped us during the pandemic, they saw a lot of people around them losing their jobs and they weren't. They, that definitely helped us. Not going to take away from that at all. But you know what? We uh, learned how to, to be good users of teams very quickly. So we had daily communications as a team. I started to create ways to start doing remote team building. We did that. You know how we can use some DoorDash to reward our folks who are working from home, send them a meal on occasion. We just kept the fun alive. We kept the communication alive. We we didn't lose our rhythm. We still did the 90-day planning. We still did the 90-day themes with some fun giveaways. So we still kept the fun. We kept the communication. We kept the training. And again, just that idea, look what we're accomplishing. I think as we just continue to grow during that time, it, it wasn't bleak. That was exciting. When there was bleakness all around you, and you're at a place, yes, it's fast paced, but you're seeing us accomplish the impossible and you're talking about accomplishing the impossible, pretty fun. And I will say we hire folks, I mentioned that word earlier, but our people, I think to be successful, we hire for this, they have to have that grit. Work hard, play hard, not afraid to dive in and figure it out. And we gave people that leverage to do that and that trust to do it. And it pays off in, in dividends. So when you fast forward from that arc and 
all the things that you did in a remote environment, kept things fun, showed ways or actually demonstrated ways to reward and recognize people that were on the team in remote environments. And then the pandemic is quote unquote over and you had another couple of big shifts. You had a, a lot of shifting that happened during the Great Reset. You probably went through a return to office transition. How did you navigate that and still retain your people and also maintain momentum where the broader world of work is going through a lot of churn? The pandemic taught all of us we are capable of remote work. Prior to that, we hadn't had not done that. Every everybody came to the office five days a week. You could work your on calls at home. But when we figured out we could make that work, so we went to more of a hybrid. So I think it loosened us up a little bit that hybridization can work for us, which was a real asset, I think, to keeping people retaining. We also had some other things of hope to look forward to. We've really, that's really when we began our push towards tech. We'd always used technology, but we're like, line in the sand, we are on our way to develop some really cool things with tech, hang around, be a part of it. So I think that was attractive for our people who lived here within the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area. We also had our eye on the prize of going to a really cool downtown office that was going to ramp us up and put us on the map that in, in a way that we had never been before. So there was also some things to look forward to that I think kept our eye on a greater vision. We also have before us, we are on our way to be a billion dollar company within the next year and a half. That's on our on our purview. And so that's exciting for people to, to rally around too. And they know we're going to hit it. You're on this growth trajectory. You've proven out that remote work works. So you've adopted a hybrid model. I'd imagine that creates a competitive advantage against your competition that's in the marketplace. But the other component that's interesting is that you're moving or at least one of the strategic goals is to get to be a billion dollar organization. That's all great if you're a shareholder or at the executive levels of the organization. Doesn't really mean a whole lot in general to somebody that's at the line level. So what's in it for them to yeah. get to a billion dollars? A lot of line level people are going to look at that goal and say, so what? It doesn't impact me. Part of that is, is my ability to be a good historian and a storyteller. I talked to my folks who are sitting in my onboarding class. And I let many of them know that back when I started with the company in 2008, many of the roles they hold today were not even on our radar. We didn't even know there were going to be possibilities. And yet here we are and here they sit. I let them know at a billion, five billion, seven billion dollar company, we can't even imagine the opportunities today that are going to be created tomorrow. So I tell them, and this is really true, we talk about a billion, but we're still talking about five billion, seven billion. I said, we're still on that roller coaster going up. I can't even see the top of the hill for where we are today. And so I really let them know, and it's not a sales job. It really is the truth that the opportunities that are going to be created in this growth, the opportunities for their career, it's, on, it's up to them to help us build that, that there is a future and there's a lot of exciting opportunities that await them. And that's what gets them excited every single day. We've covered a lot of ground in terms of what you and your team have been able to do over the last 15, 16 years as you're grown to a thousand employee organization. What I'm curious about is what, what are the key steps that they need to take to get started in building this sort of organization that's deeply connected from mission, vision, values down to the line level? I, I definitely can't say enough to really have a compelling mission. 
that's something we worked on very heavily in 2009. They had a compelling, I think, just the energy of the place, but the compelling mission was missing a little bit, especially as we think about growing, getting people connected to that idea of uninterrupted peace of mind, sustainable partnerships, inspired team members. Those are the key elements of our mission. We have Battle Cry as one. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing with the company, we're all in it together and we're going to celebrate and win together and go on this journey together. And then you have a leadership team, a CEO that believes in it. We also have values that are very action oriented. They're very relatable and it really gives you guiding principles in terms of things like be prepared to have uncomfortable conversations. You own your results. Customers always come first. We're in it for the long haul. Our reputation matters. We just have a lot of guiding principles that really you could sit back, okay, how does this fit with their basics? And they're not just platitudes on a wall, like they're ingrained to everything we do. Having my CEO involvement is priceless. He comes in, makes a point to talk. We do two hiring classes a month. He makes a point to come and share. And it's like a priority on his calendar to come in and share. And we've framed his talk as things that will never change. He gets them excited about some visionary things, but he talks about things that will never change because we know our culture is precious and we never, ever want to take for granted. Again, our basics mission, we talk about that. He delivers an as one address every 90 days, talks about good, bad, and ugly, right? Where we've won, where we've had some losses. What's the feedback from our customers? What's the feedback from our vendor population? What's the feedback from all of you as employees? And we want to know you were heard. Even if it's not such a fun message to deliver, we want them to know we heard them and not just heard them, but here's what we're going to do to show you that we listened. Oh, we did that every 90 days. It's a rhythm that we keep. Every 90 days, he's calling out people who are living our basics. So again, these are, I think that if you don't have that ingrained, you're building on sand. You have to have that foundation of here's what we're here to do. We're so glad you're on board. I would also say this, know who you're hiring. We hire people who have to have display that grit. Our interviews are all around. Do you have the grit? Do you understand what it takes to work here? And this isn't for everyone and that's okay. So we want people to really know what it's like to be here, that that we want you to be successful, but it's a gritty culture. We're 24-7, 365. So it takes a special person to be here. And that's the person we look for as well. So when you build that foundation, then you can execute and nothing will really be able to stop you. And you can always go back to that solid foundation. Great stuff, Joy. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Best way is through email. It's You'll probably have that in the notes, but it's jvmpatton at divisionsinc.com. I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your story of how you were able to embed a strong mission alignment into really what's, what's some unsexy work. Now, with that being said, there's a handful of things that, that really stand out that I think is worth calling out for folks that are listening. When you're looking at how do you take the stuff that you've written down from a mission, vision, values perspectives and bring it to life and, and make it stick, There's a handful of things that stood out about this conversation. I think one of the first things that struck me is the fact that you really have to have leadership live what you're talking about. There's a saying that attitude reflects leadership and you can have the best worded values or mission out there. But if your leadership isn't living and acting it, it's not going to go anywhere. The other thing that stands out about this conversation is that throughout the conversation, There was a level of transparency that showed up 
through all the different twists and turns that the organization went through and the leadership went through in that transparency, I, I would have to say probably played a big role in the level of buy-in that you got from the people at the line level. The other aspect, and I think that's important to call out, the third thing that stands out is you're constantly taking feedback from people within your organization, your vendors, your customers, and you're getting all of that info. And what you're doing with it is that you're taking action to move the needle in the direction that you need to take it. And I think that's another important aspect of how you actually connect the dots from what's written down on paper and how that shows up at the line level is that you have to be willing to take the information, good or bad, and then act on it. So when I take a look at all of that and we're thinking about building a recipe for success, I think that's the thing that listeners and people that are eventually going to view this are going to need to take back is it's not enough to write this stuff down. You have to bring it to life through action. So I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing that story. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, we appreciate you hanging out. Leave us a review and then tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us to share with us their game-changing insights that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.